Selection box. A beautifully created selection of eight beers delivered to my door every month. Each box is themed around a different geographic area and even with an accompanying Mr. Bliss. But if by some glitch in my sheltered little matrix they don't arrive on time, then fear my wrath. I won't he hesitate in bringing out the middle-class weapon of choice, the strongly worded letter or email. And this actually happened in December. My box hadn't arrived a week after it was supposed to be there, so out it came. I'm writing to inform you that unfortunately, despite the fact that you took my money 10 days ago, my beer is yet to appear. This is not the kind of service I expect, etc., etc. A replacement box is promptly dispatched. This is a trivial example, but likely, unless you're much more holy than me, one that we've all replicated on some level. We've sacrificed. It's our money. So we deserve those beers, those new clothes, that new phone. We're entitled to insert noun here. But you have to ask the question, is this a Jesus-shaped behavior? One that we would see in his life or that he would encourage in his followers? Or is this a behavior driven by a disordered desire? Driven by, as Anna Mason put it a few weeks ago, the formation machine that is London, drawing our eyes away from God. Before we dive into the disordered desire of entitlement that we're putting under the spotlight this week then, let's take a step back, because before we come to entitlement, we have to understand that whilst entitlement is part of the human condition, it can be fueled or heightened by certain things. And so often, the fuel is what we now call privilege. Privilege means something different in, the, in this context than what we might think. It's not about being, something being an honor or a positive badge to wear, but is so often defined as unearned access to resources or social power, only readily available to some people as a result of their advantaged social group. The definition has, has its origins in the work of Peggy McIntosh, American feminist, anti-racism activist, scholar and speaker. In her 1988 article, White Privilege and Male Privilege, Macintosh identifies 46 examples of privilege. Things like, I can talk about the social events of a weekend without fearing most listeners' reactions. I'm never asked to speak on behalf of all the people of my racial group. I can go shopping alone most of the time fairly well assured that I will not be followed or harassed. And I've got to say at the start of this that as a white, middle-class, married, heterosexual, cisgender, university-educated man, I do feel like a bit of a hypocrite preaching on this. I am the epitome of privileged, and so unaddressed I will become the epitome of entitled. I mean, Pete spoke a few weeks ago about our job titles being a good indicator of this. And man, my LinkedIn profile is a real thesis on entitlement. And this privilege, as much as I try to be thoughtful in how I speak, will shape how I preach on this today. So I want to name that up front. And apologize that I might get some of this wrong because of my blind spots. But because of our differing privileges, entitlement will look different for each of us. But we will all experience it. 
It is part of the human condition. We see this on page two of the Bible. Adam and Eve, given a beautiful garden to live in and rule over, snatch for more, for the fruit that God told them not to touch. They had it all, but they wanted more, and they took it. A little later in the Bible, we have the story of Esau and Jacob, two sons born battling for a birthright and an inheritance, and Jacob comes and using trickery and lies, takes what is rightfully Esau's. Leaving their father, Isaac, saying to his eldest Esau, your brother came in deceit and took your blessing. Later, see, later still, we see King David taking what isn't his. Let's read for a moment from 2 Samuel 11, 2 to 4. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman and one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. She came to him and he lay with her. David sees Bathsheba, wants her, and takes her. And if we turn a little further, we see Jesus talking about entitlement too in the parable of the prodigal son. The younger son in the story, wanting to get away and live his life, takes his inheritance whilst his parents are still alive, robbing them of dignity and choosing wealth over family. Take, 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 take. The examples of entitlement are rife in the Bible. And where do they all lead? Restlessness and unfulfillment. And entitlement hasn't gone away. We don't have to look far, do we, to see entitlement on display today. Political scandal, royals abusing their power, sports stars trying to sidestep the law, churches marginalizing the already marginalized. One example of this is the use of private jets to attend last year's um, last November's COP26 climate conference in Glasgow. A recent article in Forbes pointed to new research that showed that luxury lifestyles of the richest 1% could jeopardise targets to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees. And as we know, climate change will have the most impact on the mo most vulnerable around the world. The article goes on. Per capita, the richest 1% in the world will account for 16% of global emissions, from, by 2030. That's up from 13% in 1990. The study commissioned by Oxfam says the wealthy would need to cut their emissions by 97% so the world can stay on track to keep global warming below 1.5 degrees, as pledged in the 2015 Paris Agreement. An arguably rogue decision then to fly to a climate conference in a private jet then. Entitlement is all over the news, but it's also all over our lives. We all have a problem. It's not just out there. Let's be honest, it's, it's in here too. We snatch at power and it leads to abuse. We snatch at money and it leads to moral poverty. We snatch at fame and it leads to insecurity. Councillor and author Darby Strickland suggests entitlement appear, appears in society like this. I have a right to the things that I want and I will punish whoever stands in the way of my desires. She says that in severe situations, it may even come to 
Serve me or you'll suffer the consequences. It's brutal. But if we dig deep enough for it, it's there. As I mentioned, the church isn't innocent here. Professor Mitzi J. Smith, an American biblical scholar and minister, says that undoubtedly the acceptance of the unchristian ethics of political oppression, social domination, elitist privilege, and concretized hierarchy into the faith and theology of the church have essentially perverted Jesus' message so as to contradict that which he lived and died for and would surely oppose if he physically lived among us today. Let that sink in. Are we part of this? Are we letting the formation machine of our culture make us into entitled people? Are we becoming an entitled church, contradicting the message and life of Jesus? John Piper says that the sense of entitlement will keep us from knowing Jesus. Is our entitlement keeping us from knowing Christ, from knowing him truly? Here's a question for you on a Sunday morning. Do you approach church thinking about how fortunate everyone else is to have you as part of the congregation? Or do you approach church thinking how much of an honour it is to share with the community around you? Man, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and he summarised how I feel perfectly quoting the Bible back at me. Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips. It's Isaiah 5.5. Woe is me. And, and if I'm really honest, these feelings of entitlement are all over me. They're part of something deep within me. And it's a battle, a war of desires, some might say, to keep them at bay. And so often, I lose. Do you feel that too? What do those moments look like for you? Sometimes hard to look at them, isn't it? It's the ugliest parts of ourselves, but it's also so important that we do. That we see the worst of ourselves and bring it to Jesus. You know what I've discovered recently as a beautiful balm to my entitlement? Alpha. It's really cut me deep and shown me afresh just how much Jesus has done for me. Just how much I have to be thankful for. Just how loved and known I am. How there's nothing I could possibly do to add to all that he's done for me. Just how joyous it is to be able to share that love that I've been shown. For those few hours on a Monday night, my entitlement is stripped clean from me. How do we get to that place more often, though? How do we begin to rid ourselves of entitlement? This is something that theologian and commentator Esau Macaulay is battling with in raising kids when he grew up in poverty and is now living in a more wealthy neighborhood. He writes about his experience in a recent New York Times article where he says that through all the battles and trials of raising kids, he wants to teach them one lesson that his mother taught him that our circumstances don't determine our worth. We're all human. He says that if his kids are ever tempted to look down on others, he reminds them to see the face of their father in the poor. He reminds them to see the face of their father in the poor. 
Philippians 2, 5 to 8 says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. John Tyson summarizes this passage like this. I have servant reactions. In other words, I serve when I have to or when I want to. Jesus, on the other hand, has servant instincts. He takes on the very nature of a servant. We perform, he lives it. We reach down from our position, he steps down and lives in humility. Jesus did this because he had two insights that we often miss. He knew who he was and he knew who the people around him were. In other words, he knew his identity and his purpose. On his identity then, the passage speaks about Jesus being in very nature God. He knows who he is. We know from elsewhere in the Bible that he has an intimate relationship with the Father. That the Father speaks at his baptism and calls Jesus his son, who he loves and who he's pleased with. He knows who he is. He knows he's loved. So he's set free from wanting more. Or feeling like he deserves more. On his purpose, the Bible speaks about Jesus not, the passage, sorry, speaks about Jesus not considering equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage, but that he humbled himself in obedience and service. As is popular to say on TikTok these days, he understood the assignment. Because he knew his place with God, he was freed to humility, to service, to death. And it's the same for us. If we grasp that when we enter into a relationship with God, he too speaks over us, that this is my daughter, this is my son, who I love and who I'm well pleased, and with whom I'm well pleased, then we're freed from snatching for more. We're freed from entitlement. And I really think that that's something for us to get hold of today. We are loved, we are known, and he's pleased with us. We need to ultimately let this truth sink in deep into our souls, into our beings, and form us into a people of grace and peace. But whilst that's sinking in, whilst we're being formed by Jesus, is there anything we can do to open ourselves up more to him and to live in our true identity? Well, the passage in Philippians gives us a good idea. Serve. Humble ourselves as Christ humbled himself. Rather than taking, as we saw in all our biblical examples earlier, give. Let's look at what the Bible says about when we give. The first great example of giving in the Bible is God's gift in creation. He says to the first of our kind, Look, I'm giving you every plant that bears seed which is on the face of the whole earth and every kind of tree that bears fruit. They shall be yours as food. God gives, and what's the result? It's good, it's good, it's good. Wholeness, fruitfulness, provision, peace, beauty, it is good. A little later on, we see another great example of giving and service. We meet Ruth, who pours herself out, gives herself to Naomi. 
She pours herself out in service to her mother-in-law. She does all she can to provide for, care for, and support Naomi. And what happens? Peace, wholeness, provision, a family restored, and a place in the lineage of Jesus. And the ultimate gift, Jesus' sacrifice for us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Peace, wholeness, relationship with the Father, how we are meant to be for eternity. What's happening when we give? We're redirecting our privilege. We're laying down our entitlement. Instead of snatching for things we think we deserve, we joyfully give, knowing that nothing is truly ours, knowing who we are and how we're called to live. Giving is a revolutionary act, typical of Jesus' upside-down kingdom. There's a group in New York called Praxis Labs. They work with followers of Jesus called into entrepreneurship, and they've produced a brilliant little book of spiritual practices for entrepreneurs. Uh, I read it during a phase of several failed business attempts a few years ago. Uh, And there's one practice in there that really stood out to me and that continues to challenge me. One theme that they identified as an issue for entrepreneurs to grapple with is power. That's exactly what we're talking about today. And the baseline practice, the minimum that they suggest their people do, is as follows. As a baseline, we commit to the practice of gleaning, frequently sacrificing opportunities for our own advancement to intentionally create pathways for others. Frequently sacrificing opportunities for our own advancement to intentionally create pathways for others. What a culture-breaking practice this could be. A promotion at work? Well, actually, I think my colleague would be better suited. This one cuts deep. An opportunity to preach? Maybe this person would be better than me. A relaxing Sunday afternoon on the sofa? You go ahead, I'm just going to cook a meal for my neighbour. Laying down our entitlement. Redirecting our privilege. Serving others with whatever we have in our hands. So as I draw to a close, can I leave you with a challenge? What does it look like in your unique context with the gifts and skills that God has uniquely given to you to sacrifice opportunities for your own advancement to intentionally create pathways for others? And if I might tweak that a little, what can you particularly do to join Jesus in his leaning towards the poor and marginalized in society by creating pathways for those without the same privileges as yourself? What can you do today, tomorrow, this week, to start to lay down your entitlement? Stop snatching, stop taking what you think you deserve, because it only leads to restlessness and a lack of fulfillment. Instead, what can you do to start to give and serve in grace, which leads to peace and wholeness, to truly live into your identity as a child of God? and your purpose to love people well. And as the band come up and start to play for us, I just want to leave us with two quotes. The first is from author and political activist Chelsea Patterson Sobelik, and the second from singer-songwriter John Guerra. 
It's a good thing we don't get everything we want in this life. Those unfulfilled desires remind us of where our true satisfaction comes from. Christ and Christ alone. In the famous words of Augustine, our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. May we trade our entitlement for a restful spirit in Christ. May we take our restless, entitled hearts to the throne of grace and surrender them to our loving Father. Love has a million disguises. Winning is simply not one.